A reading from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. When the disciples found Jesus on the other side of the sea, and this is after the feeding of the 5,000, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us them so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Today I want to lift up from our gospel reading for us just that one single gorgeous life-sustaining verse. I'm going to read it again. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. And if you want to see that verse, you have those green Bibles in your pews, and it is John 6, and it is verse 27. As is typical for John, the teller of this story, every word glitters with meaning and hope and this sense of mystery about it. And I want to start just by mining the words. And first, I want to consider this image of eternal life. And we bump into that phrase all the time in Christian practice. It's in our prayers. It's in our songs. It's all through books like the Gospel of John. It's everywhere. And if not those specific words, maybe words like it, like everlasting life or life abundant and very often when we encounter that image, and it's, and it's more than an image, and it's, it's an idea, and maybe more than an idea, it's a conviction, what comes to mind are promises about the future, promises about life after death, and maybe most especially our personal visions of what heaven might be like for us and our loved ones. And that's pretty normal for Christians, And not even Christians, but Americans. An awful lot of people, regardless of their faith or non-faith, they hold pretty tightly to a belief in heaven. And while I, too, love imagining where I'm going ultimately, I'm not sure what this moment in the Gospel of John is all about, or at least it wasn't the only thing that Jesus was offering his followers then or even to us now. 
because I remember something my New Testament teacher said many years ago that changed the way that I hear that phrase, eternal life. And it was about another word that's very nearby it in verse 27, that word perish. See that opening command, do not work for the food that perishes. He said that perish in Greek was not about the finality of death. It wasn't about disappearing from the earth or from history. He said perishing implies more about a quality of life that is wasting away. That is life that slowly over time dwindles and breaks down. And what Jesus says here is that there's an awful lot of us who are going to work very hard for things in our life that will not keep us well over time. We will work for things that in the long run will do more harm than good. That too often we nourish ourselves with food that makes us sick. And yes, there is literal food that makes us sick, like Pringles and Hostess cupcakes and industrial food production, which actually is a really good metaphor for this kind of life, right? But I'm also talking about anything and everything that promises to deliver but ultimately fails because it has no enduring, enduring worth. And we do this. We strive for things that make us ill. And if not ill, that leave us empty or maybe bankrupt or isolated in our sense of self and in our sense of connection and relationship. We might not die from the food that perishes, but we do not feel very well eating it along the way. It depletes us. Or we might feel good for a moment, that spike of sugar high, but then discover down the road that something was missing all along. And that's the sneaky thing about all that draws us into this slow, perishing, dwindling life, we often can't see that it's happening. It's so very hard in the fevered rush of our days to see the things eating away at our sense of hope and joy and trust in the Lord. Community, faith, all the things that Jesus is talking about here that make life truly worth living. And incidentally, I just want to put a shout out to faith communities because they are one spot where we can take a step away from that fevered rush of life and get perspective on how we're doing, who we are, right? Get in touch with our truest yearnings. So I'm going to gross you out now. Are you ready for this? This is my youth minister coming out in me. And uh, it will make this very memorable for you. But it's just a silly memory that I have about perishable food. You're like, oh, don't go there, Pastor. I am, though. Whenever I read these passages, I always think about my mold projects. When I was first married, and my husband can attest to this in the back, you can see he's like, where is she going? I had a terrible habit of just letting food go until it really went. Did I not love Yes, he is nodding his head. And Ian, my husband, had a very different theory of how to keep a refrigerator, and he was routinely horrified about what he would discover on our shelves. I remember very often say, what is this? And like, if you don't like it, throw it out, right? That was often a conversation. And he was so disgruntled by my uh, food sanitation habits that he would photograph the rotting food, <laughs> and then he would use it to publicly shame me at some other time. And you know what? Although I still show up sometimes, it actually did change me. It was a good tactic. Yeah. So we actually still have these photos around, and sometimes when we're looking through files in the computer, my kids will find them, and they ew, why do you have a picture of that? Because I love our early years, right? <laughs> yeah. Food storage. So 
occasionally, whenever I read about perishing food in the Bible, that's actually what I think about. I know everyone's gritting their teeth. I told you this was gross. But you can ask yourself, does my life look like stale bread and mushy vegetables? Right? Is that how my life looks? Or does my life look like a slice of heaven? Right? It's just a really concrete metaphor for this. Told you, it's the youth minister right there, visual aid. Does my life look like a slice of heaven? And I want you to sit with that for just a moment. The idea of a perishing life and the idea of an enduring life. And I'm not going to call on you, but I want you just to think for yourselves, think for yourselves, are you reaching for anything in your life that is, you know is not going to deliver? Right? that you know is going to just deplete you. And I want you to think about this for yourselves, not your spouse, not your kids, your grandchildren, your neighbors, or all the other people out there that we can judge. And it's not even a moment of judgment I'm asking you to do, but just to name, what am I reaching for? What am I reaching for that might lead to perishing? So when we understand that perishing is about a quality of life that leans into death, but isn't death itself, then we can also see something about what it means to endure. That eternal life, too, is about a quality of life just as much, if not more, than a statement about the hereafter of heaven. That eternal life is actually about life now a life rooted in the source of life itself, a life infused with peace and joy and honor and sacrifice and wisdom in the struggle and hope in the future and solidarity with God's people and trust in the love that you've been given. See, we've all been given love, but do we trust it? These are the foods that do not perish. Remember all the words of Paul from his jail cell that we heard read this morning. In jail, he's able to give an outpouring of thanksgiving for what endures. And you can see how my teacher's explanation of perishing really unlocked for me, right, what these passages can mean, all that they hold. A life in faith is not limited to security after this bodily life is over. Faith is for life now. In the second half of the verse, we hear something about who Jesus is and the tension between perishing and enduring. And it's counterintuitive, actually, because Jesus seems to be saying, don't work for the rotting things, but work for the flourishing things. But when we read on, it turns out there's actually not a whole lot of work involved here because the promise is that God gives it to us. And this is actually Jesus in our lives, not the taskmaster, right? Not someone who says, if you just work a little harder, you'll get to perfection. If you just white-knuckle it all that much longer, then you'll win. If you just earn more, save more, scheme more, then you can afford it. This This is not what the gift is about, right? That's not the gift. Jesus is a gift giver of all the good stuff, all the stuff that cannot be killed, And not only the good stuff in the good times, but most especially when we struggle and feel life draining out of us or when we are challenged or doubtful or even despairing. In those times, it's not just the good stuff. It is God's very own self we are given. The holy and the sacred come that close. I will come to you myself, he says. And that is enough to get us through anything, even death itself. 
And the work is just to trust, to hear God's word and devote ourselves to that trust. In moments away, we are going to baptize two more children into this gifted, abundant, enduring, flourishing life with God. And we need to say this too, that children in their new life, in the way that without effort, without work, they awaken the parts of us we could not know without them, in the way they kindle love just by existing, both Jason and Logan, as well as uh, Emmy, I think you spoke on behalf of Emmy, Jamie, and Chris, talking about just by existing the love that is kindled, that they themselves are the bread of heaven that endures. They awaken in us what endures. And after they are brought to the font by their parents and washed in water, after I lay my hands upon them and read ancient prayers, I'm going to mark their foreheads with oil and the oil that helps us feel our healing in God, a mark of shared royalty with God, a place alongside God. I'm going to say to them, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. Jesus was sealed so that we may be sealed in God, and because of him, we are. Amen. I think they're ready. <laughs> you want to come on up? All right. Luke is not. Luke is out.